the aim uh, of uh, Buddhist meditation to realize Nibbana. You know, I repeat that, which it means to be free from all ignorance. Now, the true nature of things is is uh, radiant, peaceful, wise, good, beautiful, true. These words um, describe what is ultimately real. So that in our practice, we're aiming to realize that. Our aim, our goal is to be free. The obstacles in our minds we create out of this ignorance. In Pali, uh, they use the word avicca, which means the ignorance of not understanding the truth. Not seeing the truth or uh, in... uh, or understanding the Four Noble Truths, not having penetrated those Four Noble Truths with wisdom and understood them and realized and developed, then then we suffer from this ignorance. In other words, we create suffering in our minds. So that this suffering, of course, keeps us or separates us from that true wisdom, compassion, and we become lost, separated, isolated, lonely, uh, frightened, separate beings. So the aim then is to realize Nibbana or non-attachment. To say what Nibbana means is to not be attached, not be bound to any form of ignorance. So in the meditation, we have to learn how to use wisdom. Uh, Buddha's teachings are wisdom teachings. They're to be used. Uh, You're not trying to gain or get wisdom. You're not trying to become a wise person. Uh, Put away that, that way of thinking. Discard that way of thinking of, I've got to become a wise person. But you're learning how to use wisdom because it's freely available and it's something you use rather than something that you acquire or gain through practice. So if you start out your practice from a, the basic ignorance uh, and you do not use any wisdom, then no matter how long you might sit, how many hours you might sit or walk, or how many meditation retreats you might attend, and, how, and if you become a monk or a nun, and dedicate your whole life to monastic living, but you still don't develop the right attitude, uh, then, of course, maybe you've developed some virtues in the process, but not realize the truth. So that's why it's very important to, to, to rationally make it a very rational uh, choice to realize the truth. And it doesn't matter whether you think you can or not, because what you think you can do, what you think you are, is a delusion anyway. So that you, you shouldn't believe, don't believe all the voices 
and opinions you might have about yourself and your abilities or lack of them. Because in the monastic, in my life, I've been a monk 24 years, and uh, my my conditioned mind still tells lies to me. It's not to be trusted. <laughs> so I don't trust my conditioned mind. The thing that the the mind, the the conditions of my mind that come through, just the process of growing up and and reacting to life out of habit and out of the basic delusion uh, that we have when we when we when we're not enlightened so don't feel uh, don't don't be upset by by the conditions of your mind because those are uh, they're merely that's all they are they're merely only conditions they're nothing to to worry about or to make any problems over. The aim, say, of peacefulness during this retreat to see that you're, you're here, you, you use peaceful and gentle means to realize Nibbana. You're not here to, to force, to push, to get, to grasp, to make yourself, to drive yourself, to attain and achieve. Because these these are worldly ambitions coming from the ignorant conditioned mind that you have to get something from this retreat or you've got to become or attain or achieve something. Otherwise you've wasted your money. And that's that's the the conditioned mind speaking. <clears throat> so that that's not to be trusted. The idea that you are somebody who has to achieve and attain. So, in other words, you look at this retreat as having all the time in the world to be just aware of things. This is, we're giving you an opportunity, this retreat, to just relax and to have the, and to give you the confidence to start observing and looking. To, to try to inspire you, to uh, encourage you support you in that endeavor so that you will you will begin to say really watch and observe how things are rather than just try to to stop your mind from thinking to get rid of your anger to solve all your emotional problems now in in uh, learning to use wisdom then we we uh, we have to observe just the way things are, such as we're, uh, say, in, in formalized meditation practice, we, have, we use four postures, the sitting, standing, walking, and lying down, four ordinary postures that people use in daily life. They're not, none of these postures, we don't, we don't specialize in, in uh, fantastic postures, even though uh, you might be able to stand on your head uh, mindfully, that's, that's good too. But that's not one of the four basic postures, so only the people that like to stand on their head can need to develop that mindfulness while doing that. But what we're emphasizing is ordinariness rather than special feats. So that sitting, 
Standing, walking, and lying down are ordinary. They're not special postures. When we're sitting, then we, we sit. We develop the sitting. Usually we, we sit uh, in, a, in a habitual way, like in uh, modern life with, with comfortable furniture, uh, back-breaking sofas, and things like this. <laughs> we, we tend to ruin our bodies by, by trying to provide a, a immediate comfort and softness to it. So, so we, we don't even know how to sit properly modern human beings, we don't even know how to sit in the proper way. Even though sitting is ordinary, we tend to do it depending upon uh, very comfortable uh, kind of furniture, just, just made to, to suit our, the, the, the posture that we like for immediate relaxation. Or standing, uh, we don't. We don't even know when we're standing. When we don't reflect that there's the standing posture. When we're walking, we we tend to be thinking about everything else, but noticing the 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 reality of walking. Or lying down. Immediately we we think lying down, uh, just crash out, kind of attitude. Lying down, crash out, total heedlessness and not even reflect on the body uh, being in that posture of lying down. So in establishing a foundation for mindfulness, we bring attention to, say, the ordinariness. Not, the, not just the, by ordinary, I don't mean uh, the, uh, say, bad habits, that we've, ordinary bad habits we've acquired, but we're training, we're cultivating, developing the, uh, our, our bodies to, to, say, sit, stand, walk, and lie down in ways that uh, are mindful and, in, uh, and healthy for the body, ways that uh, keep it in, in uh, good physical condition, and ways that, that, that we are, that help to, say, uh, where we aren't constantly uh, fighting off pain and, and the problems that come from bad postures and uh, sloppy habits. So we need to, say, develop good posture in the four postures. And that's done through mindfulness and practice, through training yourself to do it. It just doesn't happen magically. It's something we develop. At first, uh, when we start sitting, we, we tend to just sit like out of habit. If we've been a kind of person who just sits, uh, sits down in a, in, a, in a comfortable chair and relaxes or just um, <coughs> sprawls out in the chair, then when we tend to come to a meditation retreat, we tend to just let the body slump down. We don't put any effort into holding it up. Uh, like we're we're not sitting on chairs, at least most most people are, <laughs> and uh, but those who are, to to really put effort into sitting, not just to seek comfort, but to raise the body up from the base of the spine to learn how to sustain and hold the body so that it the spine is straight and you you have this sense of pulling upward rather than just letting the force of gravity pull your body down.
Because if you don't put any effort into sitting, and you don't sustain that effort, then you might put effort in, you might sit down and you go like this, and then you don't sustain it, then you'll just start slumping down, and pretty soon you're getting down like this, and then when you try to stand up, you'll have a backache. Uh, so, the uh, say, in, in developing the sitting posture, practice, uh, like some of you sitting on uh, these zafus or cushions, or in the chairs. Uh, these help to, say, uh, raising the, the buttocks so that the spine will, will go into alignment. Uh, that will help to do that. But to, to not just depend upon that either, but to actually learn to ra pull your body up upward from the base of the spine, so that it, you have this sense of fullness, the body being full and straight, with uh, uh, the neck aligned with the, with the spine, the chin inward, the hands composed. Then you reflect on this, so you're, you're aware of when the posture is right. You're, you're aware when it feels, when you feel a sense of balance. And do this. Uh, learn how to sustain this this uh, this pulling upward, so that you're 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 not just doing it as an impulse, but you're learning to to lift the body up mentally, lift it up from the spine, and sustain that. Learn how to sustain that posture. Now, if you try too hard too aggressive about it, you're forcing it, that's not it either. It's not a, not a make yourself sit up straight. And, uh, and just out of um, bloody-minded willpower, make yourself sit there for a long time straight uh, without, you know, without uh, slumping, that's not it. It's not, that's a, a willful act, that's not wisdom. You're not using wisdom in the process. You're just willfully making yourself do something. So, in this, you're, you're contemplating the result, watching, reflecting on the result of a straight posture. Get to know when it, when it feels right, when, it, when, it, when you feel balanced, when you feel a sense of ease, when the body, uh, the, the, your skeleton is, in, is in, uh, has a, the spine, the discs are in alignment. You can train your body to, to do sit in, mentally to uh, sit in half lotus or lotus postures, but that takes training. Most people, Western people cannot do that. Even Eastern people cannot do that anymore. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's, let's say, the full lotus posture is the, is the, the best posture because it really just the, where the, uh, that kind of locks your body into a very straight position quite naturally. But for those who, who, uh, but so we have to develop gradually, not, not force it. I said this is a way of training with wisdom, not just willfully 
making yourself do something. So the posture is a foundation to work with, learning how to, to, to recognize, to, to bring into your conscious mind the obvious fact of sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. So you're sitting, you're, you're, you're being the sitting. You're not sitting trying to become somebody or, or letting your mind wander around or, or worrying about things. You're, you're putting your attention on to something that's here and now, the body sitting here and now. It's like this. It's a reflection, non-judgmental. You're not saying sitting, making comments about sitting, or, or bewailing the fact that you can't sit as well as you'd like to. And don't, don't, don't give in to those tendencies to look at somebody else. Look at Venerable Amro, uh, sits perfectly, and you, you might think, oh, I can't do that, I'll never, I'll never be able to meditate properly. And that's, that's the conditioned mind going on. Don't believe it. It doesn't matter how straight anyone else is sitting. You're, you're learning to develop from where you are. You're not trying to become like somebody else or just copy somebody else because they might look good. Many of, uh, in the monastic life, you see some of the most uh, kind of, uh, kind of, willful monks, you know, really kind of macho types, coming in there. At first, they're sitting like this, ramrod straight backs, and then after a while, their knees give out, their spine, <laughs> and they have to, <laughs> they have to go to doctors, have knee operations, invalided for months. Now that's just through, through forcing the body to do something uh, that it's not prepared for yet. You, you can't, if you, your bo our bodies are, take a terrible beating anyway because we're, we're so stubborn by nature and so willful anyway, being human beings, that we, we, we really mistreat them. We don't respect them, we don't know their limits and how to train the body, how to guide it, and work with, it, with the limits that, that it has, its natural limits. We tend to, like when we're young, young people, of course, don't use much wisdom in their lives, so they tend to just uh, force their bodies to do all kinds of things that, uh, and, and then pay the price for it later. You can, we have a very strong wills and we can, we can make our bodies do things. We can really push them around, but then eventually the body has its revenge. It collapses and then we have to bear with the pain and the, the miserable state of a body that, that uh, is crippled. So in training the body in the four postures, you're using wisdom mindfulness and wisdom, developing the, the, the like, p sustaining a posture, uh, really reflecting on it, observing when it's right, knowing it, uh, n noting it, keeping it in, become, so that good posture is a conscious 
experience rather than, a, than an accident. It's fully in full consciousness. Then we can remember it. Then we, then we tend to incline towards that more and more, towards the good posture, or the, the healthy posture of the body in, while sitting, standing, walking and lying down. <clears throat> then the ordinariness as the object, looking at the object, the ordinariness, say we use, uh, say just, uh, we use the mindfulness of the breath, anapanasati. Now breathing is something, is very ordinary, isn't it? It's nothing special. We're not doing special breathing exercises at Anapanasati, we are just uh, bringing attention to the normal breathing that our body is, is doing at this moment. So you're, you're, bringing, uh, you're putting your attention on the way it is, the, the posture, the breathing. Now the breathing is, is a uh, automatic function of the body. We don't have to make ourselves do it. It, it just uh, we're breathing even when we're asleep. Uh, totally mad, crazy people breathe just the same as as uh, arahants, enlightened beings. Animals breathe. So breathing is is nothing special, and it's and, and, and yet it is the most vital function we have. If we stopped breathing for very long, we'd be dead. Breathing is, therefore, an object that the Buddha recommended to use, to, to uh, be mindful of. Because when you're aware of the normal rhythm of breathing, of your own body, uh, you, you will calm the mind down. The conditioned mind, instead of just going on in endless proliferations, will uh, say, stop thinking, the, the thinking process will slow down and you'll find yourself more uh, in the, with the breathing of your body. As, and as you're more uh, mindful of the breath, then the breath becomes more refined. So the breathing quite naturally uh, becomes quite soft, quite almost disappears sometimes. Mindfulness of the breath, you're, you're bringing attention, just say, to the inhalation, exhalation. We, uh, various methods, some, some people use the, the nostrils, bring attention to, say, the, the, this part where you feel the breath at the nostrils or the upper lip. Other methods use the rise and fall of the abdomen. Our particular teacher uh, taught the the nose practice. So this is what I generally generally uh, teach. But it's not I'm not saying it's it's better than the belly practice. It's just the one I've learned to do. <laughs> now the the uh, the the um, inhalation exhalation. We we we're we're sustaining our attention on just that rather neutral 
sign of breathing as we feel the breath, the, say at the tip of our nose or at the nostril. We feel just the, the breath, the sense of breathing in and breathing out. And we learn to sustain our attention, concentrating our attention on, on just the length of an inhalation from the beginning to the end and then the exhalation from the beginning to the end. Uh, and when the mind wanders, then to bring it back as soon as you're aware of that your mind has wandered off somewhere, then you, you train yourself to bring it back to, the, to what you've determined to, to uh, watch at this time. Like if you've, if you've determined to, to uh, develop the mindfulness of the breath, then then make that determination so that uh, you, you, you're, you're really uh, in, in consciousness, you're, you're making it very clear that this is what you're supposed to be doing at this time. And then when the mind wanders away, when you get caught up in worldly thinking or problems or doubts or whatever, train yourself to go back to the object again. Don't, don't get, don't... Uh, be despairing or uh, discouraged if your mind wanders a lot. It's just to practice uh, bringing your attention back to the breath then. It's part of training. It sounds easy enough, doesn't it, to, to watch your breath? Uh, and I think it's most difficult for the, for, for the most intelligent people. For the most intelligent people, we they usually do well in Abhidhamma classes. So something very simple is, is, uh, is quite, quite a challenge for a brilliant mind because it is, it's, it's not interesting, it's not exciting, it's not, it doesn't seem to be like you've done anything very much. In fact, it's quite difficult uh, if you've got a, an active intelligent mind uh, that always is trying to seek interesting and, and uh, exciting new things and ideas to sustain attention on something so ordinary and boring as your breath. But this is, uh, this is a way of training the mind so that you're not, you're not trying to interest the mind or excite the mind at this time, but to develop the ability to concentrate the mind sustain it on an object rather than well, like thinking one one thinks a thought and then with say with reason logic you you can with an associative thinking you you can entertain yourself with with interesting ideas but with mindfulness of the posture mindfulness of the breath this is this is uh, using your reflective capacities rather than your rational abilities you're developing a mind that is that is can concentrate, sustain attention on the way things are, because this is the way it is. We're all breathing. We're all sitting at this moment, sitting and breathing. Now, notice in these these two objects, sitting and breathing, we're not mentioning about. Uh, we're not. We're not uh, each one, uh, say, is, is mindful, has, 
mindful from, from where you are. You, you're, we're not uh, trying to, say, make comments or judge, compare with other conditions, other people. We're just watching, observing, the silent witness, the, uh, the Buddha seeing the Dhamma. That's the, the paradigm. We're being that the Buddha seeing and knowing the Dhamma. So this is, this is by, by mindfully reflecting on just these, these two things, just the sitting posture of your body and the breathing of your body. You are observing, you're mindfully observing the Dhamma, the way it is. Then as you develop anapanasati, uh, uh, you, it will, as you become concentrated on the inhalation, exhalation, the rhythm of, breath, of breathing, uh, then you will feel tran- tranquilized by that. You feel the, the thinking mind will, will diminish and even stop, and you will feel a sense of well-being, tranquility. Because when you're with uh, the natural conditions, things that you haven't created out of ignorance, when you're just with the natural flow, the natural way of things, you will experience well-being and serenity of the mind. When you don't add anything to it with ignorance, fear or desire, then even the breathing, your body itself is a, is a natural condition. It's not you. It's not you. You create yourself onto your body, but your body is really not you. You create uh, a person uh, out of the body, but that, that is what you create out of ignorance. So the body is, is, is a natural condition. It's a dhamma. It's the, the way things are. So you're standing back and looking at it, you're going to the point of mindfulness, the still point of mindfulness, awareness, pure consciousness, by bringing your attention to just these very, these foundations, just the way it is, say, where there's no, there's no sense of a person in breathing, is there? We don't, we don't identify, we don't think of someone breathing better than someone else, or vanity or sense of one's worth is, is generally not uh, connected to one's breathing. So it's a neutral, neutral but very important natural function of a human body. Now, mindfulness, what we mean by mindfulness, is that the human mind is, we have a mind that can uh, reflect on the objects. There's a reflexive mind. I mean, for example, you can contemplate your own body. 
that you can contemplate his name. You can you can you can reflect on the breathing. You can observe the breathing or the feeling of the body. You can, in other words, you're looking at it objectively. So with mindfulness, we're able to bring into consciousness, into conscious experience, just the, 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 the way things are as objects. We're seeing the, the Buddha is, is the subject, the ability to be mindful and aware and use wisdom by observe, uh, observing, witnessing the Dhamma. So we're, this is not, we say we're transcending personal, personality by doing this. And this is what we mean by anatta or no-self in the Buddhist concept of anatta. But this, we need to train ourselves to do this because our habit formations are very much ones that uh, pull us back into the old ways of thinking and reacting to, to uh, the sensory impingement. Now, say mindfulness is the end of suffering, is the way to immortality. When we're mindful, then we're in touch with the immortal, the deathless. When we're heedless, then we are bound into the appearance of birth and death, of being somebody that is born and dies. So, so it's through mindfulness that we transcend the, the birth and death realm. Even though these, these mortal conditions still fulfill, have to be fulfilled and they, that we need to accept them and, and for what they are and bear with them till it's time for their cessation. But we're no longer identified or deluded by the appearances or the habit formations that we've acquired uh, that, that tend to influence our perceptions. Mindfulness, and when mindfulness of the breath, when you're there, the ability to observe the inhalation, exhalation, is obviously you're not, you're watching something, isn't it? The object, you can see it, the breath is not, is not self. It's an object. The ability to know and observe, you're not, you're not trying to identify uh, an abstract uh, the knowing as some kind of personal quality. You give up any attempt to, to uh, grasp even the ability to be mindful as uh, uh, you're, not, you're not identifying with mindfulness, you're being mindful. So with sati, uh, sampachanya, clear comprehension, wisdom is panya, we, we begin to uh, say, train them, our consciousness with wisdom. This, uh, being born as a human being means that we are, we are, we're living in a, uh, as a conscious being, a separate being that's conscious for a lifetime. So this consciousness needs to be trained with wisdom, otherwise we just end up becoming creatures of habit and lost in the, 
ignorance and fears that result from that. Being able to reflect on on just the the way things are. We can listen to the say the sound of the airplane. And that is, that's a conscious bringing the, the sound of the airplane into consciousness, but reflecting on it rather than reacting to it. Now, if you're here to, to you, want, you want the world to not be disruptive in any way, and not, not uh, say, you, you want to come to a meditation retreat where there's the least amount of disruption, uh, and that you want silence uh, and peace all the time, if you, if, you, if you come here with that intention, then you're going to feel annoyed and irritated by the sound of an airplane or a disruption or a noise that, that, uh, that uh, disturbs you. So, say, when we're heedless, we tend to react. Somebody, uh, there's a loud, unpleasant sound or some disruptive thing happens, and and, and we, we're not mindful, then we tend to get angry or averse to that person or that object. But when we're mindful, we're with the flow of, uh, of the way things are, so that the things that come into consciousness are seen as objects that arise and cease, that begin and end, rather than, than things that are upsetting us or disturbing our practice. You're getting beyond all these selfish uh, attitudes uh, by, by observing them. I'm not asking you not to feel annoyed by disruptions, but during this retreat, really use disruptions uh, and so that you can see wh- what you're attached to, that what you want and you don't want, and the way your mind will can... Uh, and say, I, I remember from my own experience uh, getting very attached to very silent uh, medit- we have a meditation hall, very silent and where everybody's sitting perfectly still nobody's breathing too loudly and then uh, somebody starts falls asleep and snores and you feel this aversion to them or when the, when the, when everything's very very still even a gulp can reverberate through the <laughs> so that even uh, even uh, somebody swallowing uh, sounds like a thunderstorm in a silent meditation hall. So that you then we become we can feel that we get so refined, so attached to to refined silence that we um, that we feel aversion even to something that would go unnoticed in any other situation. But with wisdom, we're, we're not, we're not, uh, uh, we, we can break through those tendencies to, to want things to be the way we want them to be, to, to feel annoyed at the disruptions or the irritations that come to us uh, in any given moment because we have the ability to ref- reflect on them with wisdom. So 
we, don't, we no longer then feel that we have to spend our time trying to control everything, uh, throw out the people that breathe too loudly, and uh, have a completely soundproof room, uh, a de sensory deprivation tank, the only place we can meditate. Then we then we're become one who's conditioned to a certain refined state that makes us uh, feel even more threatened by the ordinariness of life. Because ordinary life is not refined, is it? It's just the way it is. We can't, we can't make uh, our human existence into a perfectly uh, subtle and refined form because the human condition does not allow for that. It allows moments of refinement and, and brief, uh, uh, brief uh, uh, experiences of refined consciousness. But most of our life is around sitting, standing, walking, lying down, and, and, the, and the functions of our bodies. So that this, this is to be reflected on and to be accepted in consciousness with wisdom, then, then our daily life is a temple for meditation. The daily life that we live, we begin to use as a, as for the uh, com, uh, reflective mind to keep seeing, the, for the, the Buddha to see the Dhamma. Walking meditation, the, the aim is, is the same as sitting, really, to be mindful of walking. Uh, now, sometimes many of you learn to do the Burmese walking method, where you, you do very slow walking, a very concentrated type of walking. Uh, our teacher, uh, Ajahn Chah, encouraged us to walk in an ordinary pace. Our whole training was around ordinariness, uh, ordinary walking rather than very slow walking. So the slow method is, is a very concentrated way of walking, um, and you develop concentration through that. Um, but all the danger of that is to regard that as walking mindfully because very slow walking can doesn't necessarily needn't be mindful. It can be concentrated, but not mindful. Because mindfulness is is ability to bring into consciousness the way it is, rather than to uh, and and to uh, uh, rather than to just focus and and put your attention on on uh, and sustain your attention on an object for a long period of time. So, I mean, I've seen in, in monasteries in Thailand, uh, I, where I lived once, they, they, that we practiced that way. And uh, the monks became addicted to walking slowly, so that, that uh, when you, whenever you'd have a meeting, uh, they, would, they could only walk slowly. They, couldn't, they could never arrive on time, <laughs> which is not being very mindful or wise. So, uh, uh, mindfulness hasn't anything to do with speed or slowness, but with, with recognizing the time and the place, uh, the appropriateness of what we're doing. 
so walking slowly and, and very deliberately can be mindful or it can be just uh, another habit we develop that we think is meditation. So, so we have to really look at what we're doing, observe uh, the, the, uh, the mind and the, the body as we're walking. Uh, our way of, of walking is to designate a, a path, uh, a, a place to walk, say 25 to 30 of your own steps, and to use that as, a, as the limit, the boundary for, say, a, uh, the period of time that you choose to, to practice walking meditation. Then to, to um, say, note the posture of standing and walking. So you, you're standing at one end uh, of this path and you, you determine to walk and you, you walk uh, noting the, the, uh, the feet, the, the feet touching, the right foot, left foot, so forth, to the end of the path where you, you stop and stand, turning, standing, walking. You're, you're noticing, you're noting the way it is. Then bringing your attention to the feet helps to keep the mind from wandering as you, as you, as you uh, notice the, 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 the pressure, say, of the one, one foot touching the, the ground and the next foot. Keeps your attention with the, with the feet to the, and then to the standing posture where both feet are touching, the turning around and then the walking. By doing this, say, uh, you're, you're training yourself to, to be with what you're doing. Just the, the simple, normal, ordinariness of walking. The mind will wander because we don't tend to walk. Uh, uh, without, when we walk, we usually think about things. 